Bibles today, I want you to go to Ezekiel. Thank you for that word, Lynn. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for, for that word from heaven. In Ezekiel chapter 47. In Ezekiel 47. And uh, we've been talking, you know, for the last few weeks about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I want to start out with this scripture here today in, in, in Ezekiel chapter 47 and verse 1. Ezekiel had a vision. And this is the vision that he had. Just going to read a couple of verses here. And it says, Afterwards he brought me again unto the door of the house. And behold, the waters issued out from under the threshold of the house eastward. And forefront of the house stood towards the east. And the waters came down from under the, the right side of the house and at the south side of the altar. Then he brought me uh, of the gate northward and led me about the way without the utter gate by way that looketh eastward. And behold, there ran out waters on the right side. And when the man that had the line in his hand went forward eastward, forth eastward, he measured a thousand cubits and brought me through the waters. Now notice this phrase, and the waters were to the ankles. Notice that phrase, to the ankles. In verse 4 it says, Then he measured a thousand and brought me through the waters, and the waters were to the knees. See the progression here? And again he measured a thousand and brought me through the waters, and the waters were to, my, to the loins. And afterward he measured a thousand, and it was a river that could not pass over, for the waters were risen waters, notice this, to swim in a river that could not be passed over. Now that may seem a little obscure to you, but he had a vision. And, and basically, I'll just translate what he said. He saw waters coming out. And the waters started out ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep, up to his loins. And then waters that were over his head, waters to swim in. Amen. Now when we're talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, you're going to see something, a pattern throughout the Bible, that the Holy Spirit, that water is a type and shadow of the Holy Spirit. It's symbolic of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And uh, if you go to John chapter 4, we're just going to look at a couple of verses here. In John chapter 4 and verse 13, and always just keep this in mind as we progress here this morning, that there are waters that are available, waters of the Spirit, waters of the Holy Ghost. There's different depths of the Spirit that are available to every single believer. Amen. Now I remember when I was a young boy, I was very young actually, uh, I, I was afraid of the water. You know why? Because my mother was. She never learned to swim. I don't think she ever put her head under water to this day. <laughs> never. Okay. And, uh, and she, was, she was terrified of water. I don't know where that fear came from, but she... And she passed that on to me as a young child. Now, I, I, I got over it. Okay. And, uh, but I'll tell you what, I used to get in the water. I remember it was embarrassing, but I'd, I'd fake like I was swimming and I was walking. <laughs> I don't know if you ever did that before. I was like, I was walking. I was like, wow, I'm really swimming here. No, I'm not swimming. I'm walking. I was afraid of water. But it was, I was, I was, I remember I was 12 years old when I finally develop enough courage to actually swim underwater and swim in the deep end. And I thought, man, I'm free at last now. You know what I'm saying? But, uh, 
you know, maybe you didn't have that fear. Maybe your parents threw you in at birth, you know, into the water and you began to swim immediately, but that was not the case with me. And how many of you know fears can be passed on? But also fears can be broken. <laughs> Amen. And the water, rivers, water is a type of the spirit. And a lot of times we're only, we only want to get in. And I remember especially getting in pools. You remember back in the day when they used to have the South Park pool. Remember that pool, that big mass? It was like a lake, you know. It was not a heated pool. Then I remember, you know, it was always the first part of the year. It was so cold. It was so cold. And you would, people would stick their toe and they'd pull up. I said, man, that's so cold. Finally, someone says, just jump in and get it out of the way. So you just dive in and get it out of the way. You know what I'm saying? Get the cold part out instead of suffering. You know what I mean? But see, a lot of times people want to dabble. Christians want to dabble around the water a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Put their little foot in there. Put their toes in the water, so to speak. You know, and they get a little taste of it. But they're like, well, I'm comfortable with that. I'm comfortable with that. But then God says, you know what? There's more territory for you. Come up to your knees now. Okay? And so you get in and say, wow, this is, this is better than I thought it was, you know. But that's not, that's not it. There's more. There's more. Waist deep. So you get up to your waist like, wow, I didn't know it could be this good. God said, you ain't seen nothing yet. There's more. There's waters to swim in, amen. Now, when you're ankle deep, you have control. When you're waist, knee deep, you have control. When you're waist deep, you have control. When it's over your head and you're in a river, you lose control. Okay. Now, that might seem terrifying. That might seem fearful. But let me tell you something. When you get into the river of God, He can carry you places you never dreamed possible. Amen? But see, through fear, through fear, a lot of people are, have seen abuses of the Holy Ghost. And it's not the Holy Ghost causing problems. It's just that people get in the flesh and they do things in the flesh, you know. And it, you know, people say, I don't want anything to do with that, you know. But that doesn't do, do away with the real thing. You know, there are counterfeit $10 bills out there, $20 bills out there, but that doesn't stop you or me from spending our money. Are there, is there counterfeit money out Well, sure, sure. But you see, there is a real move of God. There is a real move of the Spirit, and we want the real thing. Now, God doesn't just want to move in our church service. That's part of it. But He wants to move in your house, in your car, in your apartment, your house, wherever you are. And I'll tell you, when you begin to allow that to happen, then when we come together, there's a divine explosion that takes place in the church service. No longer does the pastor have to stand up and encourage you to lift your voice and raise your hands. Because you're already doing it. Because when you do it in your house, it's easy to do it in church. Amen? Now, in John 4, verse 13, Jesus answered and said, and he's talking to the woman at the well, he answered and said unto her, Whoever drinks of this natural water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him. Notice this, a well of water springing up into everlasting or eternal life. Now there's two workings. We mentioned this last week. We got into the edge of this and I'm going to pick it up here again today that there are two primary works of the Holy Spirit. There's the, the new birth, which is the well of salvation. A well is self-contained. It's for you. When you got born again, you got born again for yourself. And Jesus said, this water here, when you taste of this living water, you'll never thirst again. Now, you know, there's a lot of people in this world today, like there always has been, that are searching high and low to fill the void in their heart that only God can fill.
There's a lot of people that are trying to fill that void with relationships, with finances, with money, with sex, with drugs, with all kind of stuff, trying to fill the void in their heart. And the only thing that can take that, fill that void is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a good place to say amen. The only thing that can, I mean... They're, they're itching. They don't know where to scratch. That's the world. They don't know where. They can't fix themselves. But Jesus is the living well of water. And when you come to Him and you receive Him, then you'll never thirst again. Amen? And we're not talking about getting religion, joining a church. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a relationship with Almighty God through the person of Jesus Christ, His Son. Because He is the only way to the Father, right? Muhammad is not the way to the Father. Confucius Buddha is not the way to the Father. There's no salvation in them. But Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Praise God. So we see uh, there's this in John 4. This is the, the well of salvation. Now let's go to John chapter 7. Here's where we're going to pick up today. In John chapter 7, and we're going to talk about the river of water. Talked about the well of water, which is salvation. Now we're going to talk about the river of God, both water, types of the Holy Spirit. And we see in, in Luke chapter 24 and verse 49, and the Bible says here, And behold, I send the promise, Jesus said here, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry or wait in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Jesus said, go wait. In verse 50, and he led them out as far as Bethany and he was lifted up and, uh, and he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. Hallelujah. Jesus lifted his hands and he blessed them. It's scriptural to do that, isn't it? Verse 51, and it came to pass that when he had blessed them, he parted, out, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped Him and returned to Jerusalem with sadness. No, it says with what? With great joy. And they were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. And that's, they, they list, Jesus said, go wait in the city of Jerusalem till you be endued with power from on high. Amen. And... Uh, and Jesus is, we'll see this in the book of Acts chapter 1, Jesus is speaking to them, telling them these things, and all of a sudden He has a private rapture. He starts to ascend. He starts to go up in a cloud. Okay? And, uh, and they stood there looking up. And we'll, we'll pick this up in the, in the next few verses here. Jesus was raptured up. Now, how many of you know you and I are going to be raptured? When Jesus comes back... Now, I used to have the impression that when you were raptured, man, you moved at the speed of light. It was like, bam, bam, you're up here and you're there. No, it says we'll be changed in the moment. It doesn't say we'll be caught up in the moment, twinkling of an eye. It says we'll be changed. Okay? And Jesus was, he started floating up like a hot air balloon. Starts, starts going up. And they're standing there looking up. But Jesus said, go tarry in the city of of Jerusalem, amen, until you be endued with power from on high. That's what he said. He says, I, I send the promise, but go to Jerusalem. 
until you be endued with power from on high. Now let's go over to Acts chapter 1. Now Luke is the author of the book of Acts and he wrote the book of Acts. And he picks up where we just left off in the gospel of Luke right here. Okay. And uh, we see in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, it says, And the former trustees have I made, O Theopolis, of all that Jesus began to both do and to teach until the day which he was taken up. Remember we just read that? He was taken up after that through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his, res after his passion with many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of things that pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them. Now this is what we just read in Luke. It says, notice the word commanded. Say commanded. commanded. It says, He commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard of me. For John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days from now. Now notice in verse 4 that, now he's quoting Luke, what we just read there, but he uses the word commanded Jesus. In other words, this was not a suggestion. <laughs> he didn't say, you know, I suggest, this might be a good idea that you go to Jerusalem. It says he commanded them. Say command. So this, this was actually a command. Jesus said, don't even think about leaving Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Amen. Now it's kind of interesting because uh, everybody that was there didn't listen to what Jesus said. They didn't listen to the preacher. Because you'll find in the, in the book of Acts, there was 120 people in the upper room. There was 120 people there. But the Bible says Jesus appeared to over 500 people when he made this statement. 500 people. And he told all 500 of them, he says, go wait in the city of Jerusalem till you be endued with power from on high. So what happened to the other 300 and some people? There's more that missed it than more that got it. That's really good. Jesus said, go, Terry, I command you to go to the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. All right. So a hundred, Bible, it gives numbers in the book of Acts, 120 were in the upper room on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Ghost came, the initial outpouring of the Spirit. Where were the other 380? Probably washing their donkeys. Down at the river washing their clothes. Okay. Now stop and think about that. How would you like to be a part of that charter class of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost? the first initial outpouring. How would you like to be a part of that? And to this day, you can still go. The upper room, is, that's where they had the Last Supper too. It's the same room. It's, it's still there. You can go there. You can go up there. I have minister friends of mine that have been there and walked through there and had little mini sermons in there and had a time of prayer with people that were there. And you can still go to the upper room. You can look it up online in Jerusalem. That room is still there. Of course, it's been there for a few thousand years. But Jesus commanded, he didn't say, you know, I suggest, he said, I command you to go to the Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Now look at uh, verse 5 again. It says, For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. When they therefore were come together, they asked him, Lord, 
Wilt thou at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? So obviously this was in their heart. And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the sign, the times, or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. All right? They're talking, they wanted the restoration of Israel. But the verse 8 says, But, now he's pulling them right back to here and now. He says, But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost is come upon you. When, when do you receive power? After. After the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now there's the Spirit within, which is the well of salvation. And there's the Spirit upon, which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Same Holy Spirit. Now, if you're born again, you have the Holy Spirit. If you have Jesus in your heart, yes, you do have the Holy Spirit. But that's not all of the Holy Spirit that there is. Okay? I can take a drink of water and I have water in me. But that doesn't mean I'm full of water. If I kept drinking, I'll be full of water. Are you with me? And uh, Jesus said, you shall receive power. Now that word power is the Greek word. It's New Testament was written in Greek. It's the word dunamis. Dunamis. What does that mean? That's where we get our English word dynamite. A divine explosion. <laughs> you shall receive dunamis. Power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Now, how many of you here have been baptized with the Holy Ghost? You have the power of God on the inside of you. Amen? You know, it's not a wise thing to run from the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's, a, it's something that's Jesus commanded. But he said, you'll receive power after dunamis, miracle working power actually, after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, to Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Notice that it doesn't say that you'll go witnessing after the power of the Holy Ghost comes upon you. He says you'll be a witness. Because you are a witness whether you're witnessing or not. What does that mean? That means the way you live, the way you conduct yourself, the way you talk. Your attitude, your demeanor, your mindset is a witness. Uh, uh, through the years, I'm sure you've had the same thing happen. You know, you'll see some TV personality or, or you'll meet somebody out there in the, in the general public, you know, and, and you'll, see, you'll talk to you, run into somebody and say, you know, something tells me they're a believer. Now, you haven't had a discussion with them. You haven't had a conversation with them. But something within you bears witness that, I bet they're saved. Now, they didn't say, they didn't announce it. They didn't say, I'm a Christian. But there is something that came out of them that bore witness with you. And when you, in the final analysis, you found out, oh, yeah, they, I knew they were saved. I knew they knew. How many of you ever had that happen to you? Okay. That's being a witness. You're not witnessing with your voice, but you're being a witness. Are you with me now? Praise God. Now, I remember back many, many years ago. In fact, it's the summer that my wife and I, it was 1982, the summer of 1982 when we got married. Praise the Lord. And, uh, and we had, I'd been back from my first year of Bible school, between first and second year of Bible school, and we, and we had the summer off, so we came back to Pittsburgh. We were going to get married and so forth. And uh, for the summer, I needed to have some work, and so I was able to get a job with a, with a community uh, that I lived in over in Baldwin Borough Township where my parents lived at that time. And 
and I, so I got a summer job, you know, cutting the grass, taking care of the different community parks and so forth and so on like they do today. And, uh, and so it was like a three-month job. So my first day on the job, I had no idea what I was involved with, who I was involved with, but I'll tell you what, these were the biggest bunch of heathens you ever met in your life. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And, of course, they knew I was in the ministry. They were, I was going in the ministry. I don't know how they found out, but they found out, you know. And, and so, you know, then they're, they tried to make life miserable for me, you know what I mean? And some of these were kids I went to school with as well. So, so it, was, it was a very, let's just say it's a very negative, back, negative, horrible environment to work in, okay? But, you know, I'm like, well, I'm only going to be here for a couple of months, you know, and then I'm out of here, praise the Lord. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, uh, and, I, you know, the opportunity to share Christ with people just, just wasn't quite right there at the time, you know. But I didn't realize that people were watching me. I just, I, I was just being me, you know what I'm saying, and, and just do my job and so forth and so on. And, and I remember the very first day we went out on the job, I mean, this big yellow work truck from, from the township, took all of us and our mowers and everything out to this, I remember it was Elm Leaf Park, if you ever heard of that before. And I remember they dropped, the big boss dropped us off and we all unloaded our mowers and we began to start our mowers, you know, and there's probably 15 of us and it's a big massive area, you know. So we're, we're all starting. But I noticed after a few minutes, I'm the, I, I was the only mower that was running. <laughs> and I thought, Am I hearing things or what? And I, and I happened to look up, and there was, a, there was a picnic shelter up on the hill, little up on the hill, and all the mowers were under their shutoff, and the guys were laying down sipping iced tea <laughs> up under the picnic shelter, okay? After they just dropped us off. And all of a sudden, I felt pressure. Do you ever feel pressure? I felt this pressure, shut your mower off and go up there too. But within myself, within me, I said, wait a minute, they're not hiring me to sleep. They hired me to do a job. So I kept her going. Okay? And boy, I got razzed over that too. You know what I'm saying? But I, I just, to be, to be honest with you, I just did the best that I could, just, just went there, did my job, so forth and so on. But I didn't, even, I didn't realize until the last day I was on the job, people, they were watching me. And the guy that gave me the most problems, he was the supervisor of that crew, okay? He was a little bit older than I was. And he was just foul mouth, filthy, uh, just, ugh, just like sandpaper, rub you the wrong way. And the very last day of the job, he knew that was my last day because we were getting married and we are about to move back to Tulsa to finish my second year of Bible school. And so uh, he, he, he's, the, he's the foreman of, the, of, of all of us. So he calls me over. And I remember we were on, on Cathell Road. That's where it was, if you ever heard of that before. And we had jackhammers. And we're, we're, you know, digging up the road, put, laying some pipe and all this kind of stuff, you know. And, and it's a hot summer day. I mean, just miserable outside. You know how it can get into Pittsburgh sometimes, you know, in the summertime. And uh, he calls me over and says, come here, I want to talk to you about something. And I thought I was in trouble. He calls me over. And this is after working there approximately three months every day, going there, doing my job and so forth. 
And he said this to me. Now, this utterly shocked me. I had no idea this was even, I thought I was in trouble. He calls me over and he says, he goes, Keith, come here. So he pulls me away from the rest of the guys. He goes, I just want you to know. He goes, I've been watching you like that. And I thought, what's that mean? He goes, and he began to tell me, he says, I've been watching you. He goes, I've got these friends that are Christians. They've been inviting me to this Bible study. You know, he goes, they've been getting on me, you know, and he still used some choice letter words when we were talking, you know. But, but he said, and it just, it totally shocked me and humbled me too. He says, Keith, I want you to know, he said, I've been paying attention. I've been watching how you respond and how you act to all these, these idiots out here. He was one of them too, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, and he, in essence, he said, I've been thinking about becoming a Christian. He goes, but I want you to know I've watched, I've watched you, and I see that you're the real deal. I almost broke down in tears when he said that to me because I was like, Is, I had no earthly idea that they were actually watching me. I didn't know. But immediately I thought of this scripture. Jesus said, when you receive the Holy Ghost, he goes, you're going to be a witness. Okay? Now, I'm not saying that. I was perfect. I'm not perfect in the flesh. But I, I did, you know, I was 21 years old at the time. 22, actually. And, uh, but God had done a work inside my heart. And I was doing my very best to live before Him and to live right, to not talk. You know, every other word was a four-letter word with these guys. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. I mean, it's like they can't carry on a normal sentence without dropping the F-bomb or something like that. That's not normal talk. Are you with me now? That's filthy, foul, disgusting talk. And Christians should not talk like that. Okay? Do you hear me? Believers should not. Now, if you make a mistake, ask the Lord to forgive you. But you shouldn't be talking like that to make your point. Okay? Praise the Lord. It's getting quiet in here. Amen? But uh, the point I'm trying to make is this, that you can... Jesus said, you'll be a witness, and that's, that's how you act, that's how you live, that's how you treat people, you know. And in the, in the, in the, as time progresses, people will see there's fruit, because our fruit, literally, we produce fruit that can be picked, and it should be picked from other people, okay? Now, Jesus said, and like I said, it totally humbled me. I had no earthly idea that this guy was, he was looking at me and watching me and so forth, because he knew that I was in the ministry. He knew I was going into the ministry. I wasn't there yet. You know. But Jesus said, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost comes upon you. Amen. Now, the Holy Ghost doesn't make you weird. Now, some people blame, Christians blame the Holy Ghost for being weird. Listen, the Holy Ghost doesn't make you weird. He makes you attractive. He makes you smart. Amen. But he said, you're going to receive this power. After that, the Holy Ghost comes upon you. Now, we know that over in Acts chapter 2, I'm just going to refer to this for the sake of time today. That this was the initial outpouring of the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost. A festival that many people from other nations would come. And it's really interesting that God chose to pour out His Spirit on the day of Pentecost, being a big holiday, and people from every nation were there in Jerusalem. And God says, you know, I think I'm going to pour out my Spirit right now in the middle of this big fair, so to speak. Remember that? 
And so the Holy Spirit came upon them, blew into the upper room, which is, like I said, is still there. And the Bible says the Spirit of God sat upon each one of them. They were sitting down, just like you're sitting down. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They began to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave or provided for them the language or the words or the syllables. You see, when you speak in tongues, it's not the Holy Ghost doing the speaking. It's you doing the speaking. He's given you the utterance. Acts 2, 4 says, They were filled with the Holy Ghost as the Spirit gave them the utterance. And so you remember what happened. They began to speak in languages of people that were there from other countries. They said, How, we don't understand this. How is it that we hear them speak in our own language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, members of Mesopotamia, in different countries. And we hear them talk of the wonderful things of God in our own tongue. That's supernatural. Now, how many of you know, if you stood here right now, like the only language that I know, I haven't mastered yet, is English. <laughs> you all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> There's things you can learn every day about the English language, words I never heard of before. We just don't use them. You know, but I know, if, I know enough to communicate. I'm communicating to you right now. But for me to, to all of a sudden speak sp uh, pure Spanish would be a miracle. Right? Or Russian. Right? Or French. Those are, those are, those are real languages, aren't they? Now, I don't understand them, but how many of you know it would be a miracle for me all of a sudden? I, start, I never learned it before, and all of a sudden I start speaking in Spanish or French or Portuguese or uh, Russian or Chinese or Japanese or Korean. All those different languages that, that came from the Tower of Babel when God spread them out throughout the earth. Okay? Now, we don't have any problem. We don't have any problem believing that people, you can speak other languages. Okay, but why is it that people have a problem when you speak in a heavenly tongue? Because they don't understand it. Now, I'm just going to refer this bit. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul the Apostle said this, and we're talking about the water of the Holy Ghost, which is the well, salvation, then the rivers, which is the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And that was, he was referring about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, when you receive this power. Glory to God. And we found out in the last few sessions, Holy Spirit is a person. He's not an influence. He's not a thing. He's not a cloud. He's not fire. He might be in the cloud. He might be in the fire, but he's not that. He is a person. And when you, when you were baptized with the Holy Spirit, you received a person inside of you. A layer of God on the inside of you. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, though I speak, he's the great love chapter that most of us only hear at weddings. <laughs> love is patient, love is kind. Amen. How many of you know that's not just for weddings, that's to be lived by daily. Love is patient, love is kind, love is not envious, it's not jealous. That's love, that's God. But he said this, he starts out by saying, though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, notice that, and have not love. I'm a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. In other words, a bunch of noise. He said, you can speak with the tongues of men and of angels. Do you know angels have a language? 
And it very well could be that when you pray in the Spirit and you pray in other tongues, you're speaking in an angelic language that they understand. Mm. Hallelujah. But he says, he said it's no good if you don't have love. See, none of the, none of the, Power gifts of the Spirit. None of the gifts of the Spirit are any good outside of love. We love it has to be the foundation. That's that's the that's the whole foundation of the love of God, because everything we do springboards from the foundation of love. Amen. You know, stop and think about it. The Apostle Paul wrote in the book of Ephesians. He said, "Speak the truth in what? In love." Do you know you can speak the truth outside of love, and it only hurt people. It'll cut people. I could get up here today and rip everybody to shreds with the Word of God. <laughs> I'm not going to. Aren't you glad? And I could condemn you with the Word of God. But if I don't mix love with it, it's going to fall on deaf ears. It's not going to profit at all. In fact, it will probably turn some people off. But I'll tell you what, when people, and I think that's what the man noticed which totally shocked me at the time that was our supervisor, that he noticed when other guys were losing it and flying off the handle, I wasn't doing that. Now, I wasn't even aware of it. I was just being me, okay? Because I would try to talk to God as much as I could while I'm working, you know, and uh, sweating and working and so forth, you know, and just try to have a conversation with the Lord inside my spirit while I'm working. You know, you can do that while you're working. You can be up to here, so to speak, with paperwork and doing different things and working with people. At the same time, be conscientious of the Holy Spirit that's on the inside of you. And that's a marvelous place to be when you're more conscious of God than you are conscious of other people. And you can get to that place. We can get to that place where we're so conscious of God's presence. Amen. The Lord always reminds me. He says, son, remember, I'm with you today. Before I come into this room here and speak to you all here, the Lord says, remember, my presence is with you today. Yes, sir. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. This isn't just another sermon for another week. It's, we want heaven's best. We want Jesus. We want his presence. That's the most important thing. Now, some people don't value that, but we value that here. That's part of our core values, if you, if you want to call it, is we value the presence of God. That's what we value. That's the only thing that's going to last for eternity anyway. You see, many people get caught up in their, the cares of this life. And the, the, the marked, Jesus said in Mark chapter 4, the cares of this life. The cares of this life get caught up in trying to fix this and fix that and fix this and fix that. When if we're, more, if we're conscientious of God, the Holy Spirit that's on the inside of us, then we're going to give that care to the Lord because we know He cares for us. Praise the Lord. So you're not serving a God that's a million miles away. Amen. T.L. Osborne, you know, that had revival on several different continents, people getting born again. He ran into all kind of religions, Far Eastern religions and stuff, people doing penance, you know, and people crawling. I remember seeing a film where people would crawl on glass and crawl for miles all bloody trying to please their God, thinking they were going to please God by doing that, hurting themselves, cutting themselves. I saw this on film. Remember that, Lynn? In the Philippines, actually. He had a movie called The Filipino Passion. 
you know. But he said that Christianity is the only religion that the God that we worship literally comes to live on the inside of us. <laughs> All the other religions in the world, fake as they are, you know, Buddha worshipers, you know, and little fat bald man. Who would want to worship someone like that? I'm just, you know, I'm not trying to be funny. It's the truth. I mean, do you ever see some of these gurus and stuff? I mean... They're just people like anybody else. They need a Savior too. People look at them like, you know, you're my Savior. No, Buddha, you're not my Savior. Muhammad's not my Savior. They all needed Jesus. But Christianity is the only religion, if you will, that the God that we worship comes to take up His dwelling place on the inside of us. Praise God. That's the well of salvation. Now, if you go to, I'm sorry, Isaiah Chapter 28, and we're going to talk to the rest of the time. What time is it here? Goodness, time flies. When you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you receive the river that Jesus talked about in John 7. The he that believeth on me out of his belly or innermost being shall flow rivers, rivers. A well is self-contained. Rivers are for the community. So the baptism, no, it's kind of like this. You know, what's the difference between a car and a bus? One is for personal use. A bus is for public use. That's no revelation, right? Now, when you receive salvation, it's like a car. It's for you, for benefiting you, getting you from place to place. But when you get a bus... I used to be a bus driver. And you put 60, 70, 80 people on that bus and then haul them. Okay? That's not just for you. That's for the whole, that's for a bunch of people. Rivers in Bible days are not just for personal use. They are, but they're for the whole entire community. And it's till this day in some countries, in some foreign countries, you know, people still take their baths in the river over in Africa and different spots. You know, community baths. Go down to the... You know, aren't you glad we've come a long way? Go down to the river. That's like saying, let's get down to the Monongahela today. Let's all take our bath. That would not be a fun deal, would it? <laughs> but in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 11, Isaiah is prophesying here about the, the, the outpouring of the Spirit, which hadn't happened yet until the book of Acts. But he says some things, and he prophesied, and he foretold some things and he says for with stammering lips and another tongue will I speak to this people to whom he said this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest and this is the refreshing now notice that phrase this is the refreshing now look at this this is a sad part about it it says yet they would not all hear yet they would not hear now, what's he talking about? With stammering lips and another tongue will I speak unto my people. He said, this is the rest. This is the rest. Now, I know my experience more than anybody else because I'm with me. <laughs> and when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I wasn't even asking for it, but I was curious about it. And it just happened to be in 1980, actually, I was in a Brian Rudd crusade. He was preaching the Word of God in my church that I was going to at the time. 
He had an altar call and hundreds of people came forward to the altar to receive Christ. I'm in a, this church is, is an Assembly of God church. There's three sections. I was in the middle, maybe the 20th, 15th row back. As people came forward to give their hearts to Christ, something, I was so moved by that. I was so touched by that. You know what? It's okay to be moved when you're in church. It's okay to be moved to tears. It's okay to be moved to cry. It's okay to be moved to laugh. It's a safe place. Amen? All of a sudden, something came on me. Well, I know what it is now. It was the Holy Spirit. And I'm, I'm sitting there. I was with my sister, my best friend that I led to the Lord in high school, you know. And there was a row of young people. We were sitting there. And there was hundreds of people in this auditorium. And we were all sitting down when this happened. And all of a sudden, something just, whew, just fell on me. And all of a sudden, I was speaking fluently in, la- in a language I'd never learned before. Now, I had no more expected that than to be the next man on Mars than what happened to me. Because I wasn't asking for it. Now, I was curious because I started to hear about it. I thought, hmm. I was hungry. I was very hungry. Oh, I was like a starving man looking for food and spirit. I, I didn't even know it at the time, but I was so hungry for I just wanted more of God, you know. And the Lord poured out. Now, I don't know if that happened to anybody else there in that meeting or not, but I know it happened to me. And all of a sudden, wham, the Spirit of God fell, fell on me. And, and uh, you know, nobody knew what was going on. There was a lot of commotion. People were coming to the altar, you know, and music was playing and so forth. But I sat there, and <clears throat> in, my, in that pew, in that red padded pew and I sat there speaking in a language I never learned before fluently. It was like, it was just gushing out of me. And I felt goosebumps on top of goosebumps. It was like goosebumps on steroids. <laughs> but it was the best feeling I've ever had in my life. I'm telling you, I was started speaking in this language. And and to be honest with you, I had never heard the terminology up to this point about being drunk in the spirit. I never even heard of that phrase before. No one ever talked about that. I never heard of it. But I was I felt like I was a drunk person, but not with natural stuff. You understand? I knew what that was like in the past. But I, I felt so much joy and so much that's the only way I could describe it. I was just bubbling over. And I remember driving home and I was laughing in the car with my sister and my friend. And I mean, I could still drive, but it was like, man, I'm a happy, one happy fellow here. I am so happy here, man. Oh, my goodness, you know. And, um, and I love it because I had no preconceived ideas. I, I didn't. I had no preconceived ideas about what was going on. But here I am so filled with God. I spoke in this heavenly language, and I'll never forget the very next day. Now, this is in a midweek, you know, and so I was working in a paper factory in Bridgeville that no longer is there right now. It was called Interform Printing, and I worked. Somebody got me a job. It was a good job, and I was working there. And this is the day after I was baptized with the Holy Spirit, spoke with other, a heavenly prayer language. And I couldn't, you couldn't beat it out of me with a baseball bat. I, I'm telling you, it was the most heavenly thing. I'm telling you, it changed my life. Now, prior to that, I was a very bashful, backwards person. 
was a very private individual, didn't have a lot of confidence or boldness, you know. But I'll tell you what, after I was baptized with the Holy Spirit, it's like God just put a crowbar in my backbone, so to speak, and all of a sudden I was like, I had this boldness I didn't have before. <coughs> but I'll never forget, I, went, I took a little bathroom break, and I went back, and I remember walking through this area where there, you have to walk around these big rolls of paper and boxes and everything. There's a little nasty bathroom back there. So I would go back there just to take a break, and I would get in there in that little bathroom, turn the light on, and I would, I would pray in the Spirit. I'd be like, Shopras, keep on maraca. I'd say, looky here, man. I'm speaking in a language I never learned before. <laughs> I'm speaking in a language fluently. And I, ne- I didn't go to college to learn. I didn't go to some school somewhere to learn this language. All of a sudden, I'm speaking fluent. But here's what I wanted to bring you to this point here today. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, there's so many benefits to it. But I think the biggest benefit is this. It's a constant reminder that God is inside you because you could not speak in that language apart from God. If you go up to the average sinner that doesn't know Jesus Christ, they can't speak with tongues. They can try to fake something, but it's not the real deal. It's not the Holy Ghost. There ain't no flow there. Jesus said you can't put new wine in old wineskins. You know, they explode. You know what I'm saying? And um, so, and I I remember doing that. I was like in the restroom there and I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I just spoke in this language that's like fluent and I don't understand what I'm saying, but it's heavenly. Tongues of men and angels. I don't know what it was. I don't know what it was. But I'm telling you, it was just flowing out of me like a river. Well, Jesus said rivers of water, right? And so, sometimes you wake up in the morning, you don't have the goosebumps. Sometimes you don't feel very spiritual. You know, natural things happen, right? Stuff happens and so forth. And you don't really necessarily feel anything. Maybe you came in here today like that. But then I realize, you know, I can open my mouth and speak in that language anytime I want. Now, I don't do it in front of people to so forth. I do it, it's just a private thing, you know, unless it's in the, in the service where it's a tongue and interpretation of tongue where that's a ministry gift, you know what I mean, to the body of Christ. But everybody can have that private side of their tongues where they can edify themselves, build themselves up. And it's a constant reminder of that is a miracle. And like I said, wouldn't it be a miracle if I stood here and all of a sudden I started speaking fluent Chinese or Japanese? You're like, that's a miracle. It's no less a miracle when you speak in tongues and you have a heavenly language, a heavenly tongue, and you speak in that language and you realize, I couldn't do that apart from the Lord. So he's obviously in there. Does that make make sense? Can you grasp that? This is why the enemy of your soul fights so, so desperately to keep you, first of all, out of salvation. First of all, he can keep you from salvation. He's already got you. But the second thing is if he can't keep you back from being born again, he'll try to keep you back from receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, speaking with other tongues. Because some sister doodad abused it, did some weird thing, you know, and said, I don't want any part to do with that, you know what I mean? But see, that doesn't do away with the real thing. 
See, people, see, that's a, there's a reason why Paul wrote chapter 12, 13, and 14 in the book of Acts. And all three of those chapters are dedicated to the right use of tongues, interpretation of tongues, and the gifts of the Spirit. That's why 1 Corinthians 13 is written that, that you know, all these things, the power, the gifts of the Spirit, the, what, the vocal gifts, the power gifts, the utterance gifts, they have to be, have a foundation of love first and foremost so that it's not going to hurt somebody. You with me now? Hmm. Say, I have a river, have a river. On, the inside of me. on the inside of me. Thank you, Lord. Now, here's what I noticed, and we'll pick this up. I don't know about next week because it's Easter next week. Who knows? <laughs> Amen. I'm not going to put any limits on the Lord. He, uh, he can do some powerful things on an Easter resurrection service. Glory be to God. But... Um, don't run from the baptism of the Holy Spirit. See, I'm scared of that. Well, there's a lot of things. You know, you're, maybe you learned to drive the, for the first time and you were afraid of driving, you know, but you know, you got, you got over it. Okay. You might have hit a few curbs or whatever, run over a few rabbits or something, but you, you, st you stuck it out. <laughs> right? You kept with it. Don't be afraid of something that heaven wants to give you. That's what I'm trying to say. In fact, after the service is over, if you've never been baptized with the Holy Spirit and you want to receive, now you, this might have been the umpteenth time that you've heard the invitation for this, but there's, listen, you need, Jesus said, don't even think about leaving Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. Now if he told them that that's, they, he's commanded them, how much more do you and I need the baptism of the Holy Spirit? You say, well, Pastor, I asked, I asked for it and I didn't get it. Well, He sent the Spirit. You just have to learn how to yield to it. Right. It's a matter of yielding to it. And that's where we can help you. We can help you yield to it. And once you know how to yield to it, it's easy. Yes. It's easy. It just, it's like handing you some piece of paper and you grab it and you take it. Right. Glory to God. Now, the only qualification is you've got to be born again. That's it. If you're saved, you know Jesus, you qualify to receive this baptism of the Holy Ghost, the rivers of God. Amen? Now, I would suggest that if you already are filled with the Holy Spirit, you begin to utilize. He said, this is the rest. This is the refreshing. Now, Paul even quoted that in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 21 and 22. We'll not read it for the sake of time. But Paul actually quoted it. Why don't you bring it up there, Josh, 1 Corinthians. I'll show you up on the wall here. It's like you're downloading something. The circle goes around. Remember that? And then it kicks in. 1 Corinthians 14. Oh, 14, 21, and 22. I guess that would help. Okay, here's Paul. He said here, In the law it is written, With men of other tongues and other lips I will speak unto this people. Yet for all they will not hear me, saith the Lord. The next verse. Wherefore, tongues are a sign. Notice that. They're a sign. Not for them that believe. If you believe it, you have it already. But for them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not them that believe, but for them that, uh, that believe not, for them that believe. All right? So speaking in tongues is a sign. 
It's all, not only assigned to other people, it's assigned to you. It's a miracle. People say, brother, I wish you would do a miracle. I wish you'd perform a miracle. People say that to you know, healing ministers and stuff like that. I wish you would do a miracle. I want to see a miracle. Well, there's a miracle that people overlook all the time, and that's speaking with other tongues. That's a miracle. Do you know, here's something to think about. Do you know you can become acclimated to the miraculous to the point where you take, take it for granted? What do you mean? Israel was out in the wilderness. Came through the Red Sea. Bam! There goes the Red Sea. Part the waters. A wall of water on this side and on this side. They walk through on dry ground. <laughs> Egypt's dumb enough to follow after them. They got so hard-headed, they said, we're going to chase them. I don't care what it takes. And they're down there. Well, God had a plan. He was going to drown his enemies, right? So after they get through there, Moses does his thing. God does his thing. Here comes the wall of waters down. And they saw the, the chariots and the people and all the, every, every Pharaoh's entire army perished there, which is a type of the devil. Now, it's really cool. It's really interesting that on that beach to this day over in Nueva Beach, where the Red Sea is, there's, a, there's an underwater bridge that if the waters are removed, it's the only place that someone could walk across. It's the only place. And on the bottom of the Red Sea are chariots, horses, skeletons, chariot wheels that are dated back to the Egyptian time that are there to this day. Okay? I've seen it. I've watched it. I've studied it. But here's the thing. Last week's miracle won't sustain you today. They got out of there and they're singing, you know, the Lord hath triumphed gloriously, the horse and the rider thrown into the sea. And the very next day they needed water and they're grumbling and complaining. So why would God take you through a Red Sea experience to only kill you in the wilderness? So they came to the bitter waters of Mara. Have you ever had bitter waters in your life? You come up and think, you're about to drink this. and said, that tastes terrible. Some of us have had bitter experiences, bitter waters and so forth. But God instructed Moses to take a stick, a piece of wood, a branch, throw it into the waters, and the waters would be made sweet. That tree, that wood is symbolic of the cross. When he threw it into the water, the bitter waters were made sweet, and now there's two million plus Jews that are able to drink out of this, plus the animals. Isn't that cool? And so... You know, as they progressed towards Mount Sinai and Mount Horeb over there, where God was taking them, you know, you remember that, that God provided manna? And the word manna means what is it? <laughs> and God would rain down fresh manna every single day. Every single day. And I'll tell you, you talk about, I think I said this last week, you talk about a superfood. It's got everything in it. Can you imagine if the health stores got a hold of that? Whole Foods got a hold of that. Here's a jar of manna. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, see, that manna is symbolic of Jesus. He said, he said Your, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. He says, but I am the bread from heaven that has come down. Brother Dan had a sermon about the bread that was phenomenal. Amen. A couple of months ago. I mean, it was just knocked it out of the park about the revelation of bread from heaven. Amen. 
Thank you, Lord. But here's the thing. I'm making a point here. They got so used to the manna coming down. Now, God wouldn't gather it up for them. They had to go out and gather it up. They had to grind it with millstones and then and bake it and so forth, you know. It wasn't like a drive through at McDonald's, you know what I'm saying? But God would send the manna down. He said, no, they had to go gather it up. They had to prepare it and so forth, you know. But uh, it, my point being is it came from heaven. This is supernatural. This has never happened before. However, it got to the point, well, they, they said, they even said, we're tired of this manna. Yeah. They loathe this, the King James says, this light manna. We're tired of this. We're tired of this. In Numbers chapter 21. And that's when they began to grumble and complain to Moses, you know, and they said, oh, what, you know, we're tired of this manna. We're tired of this. And that's when the Lord removed, we saw this last week, He removed this protective hand from Israel and snake, poisonous serpents came out. They were already there, but they came out. God removed this protective hand and bit many Israelites and they perished in the wilderness and they got the revelation. We've grumbled. We've murmured against Moses and against God. And they came to Moses. They said, please forgive us. Do something about this. And you know the story. The Lord instructed Moses to make a brazen serpent on a high pole and set it up. He says, whoever looketh upon the serpent of brass shall be made whole, shall, shall survive if they've been bitten. Hallelujah. And Jesus said in John chapter 3, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And that serpent is symbolic of the curse. And the word looketh, whoever looketh on this, is not a mere glance. It's a continual stare. Uh, 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 in the book, Christ the Healer, F.F. Bosworth brings this out. Christ the Healer. You ever hear of that book before? He said it's not a mere glance. It's a continual stare. Fixation. On the solution. And if we're going to be healed of whatever things are coming against us, we've got to be fixated on the right thing, not the wrong thing. Some people are fixated on the doctor's report. Amen? Dr. Seuss said this. Now, we don't, we don't disrespect doctors. We don't. We thank God for them. But their word is not final authority. They're not final authority. I've had doctors say things to me, and I respect what they say. I do. I have no disrespect towards them. But, you know, at the end of the day, i got to go back and say, now, Father, what do you say? What's, what are you saying? Now, they can get, now, I said all that to say this. You can get acclimated to speaking with tongues and forget about the miracle that's actually taking place right there. And that's what happened with the manna. They got so used to it. Oh, business as usual. There's the manna. You can get used to coming to church and getting fed the good word of God. You can get so used to it. Like, no big deal. But if you lose your appreciation for the things of God, you start to go back and you don't even know it. We can all, we can all do that, couldn't we? When we lose our appreciation for the things of God, that's when we start to backslide. That's when we start to go back. And we lose our fire. We lose our vigor. But God wants us to stay on fire. Amen? Back in the Old Testament, when God led them forth, it said there was a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. And that's how He led them through the wilderness. They'd pull up the tent stakes and said, there goes the fire. We're going with it. So they'd follow the fire. 
If they went this way, they'd go that way. And they'd follow the cloud by day, fire by night. Amen. Because in the desert it gets cold at night. The fire kept them warm. During the day they're out in the desert. It's hot. The cloud kept them protected. And that cloud was God. Okay? But not only that, it separated them from Egypt. Amen? And you know what's really interesting? Now, I like Bible archaeology. That's my wife, she'll tell you. But I love stuff that proves what we believe ever, anyway. And you know what's interesting about this? On the Nueva Beach, where that riverbed is, that dry riverbed where they marched from Egypt to go across the Red Sea, all right, that there's just, there's just an opening, there's a mouth there that leads down to that big beach where they, before they cross the Red Sea. And, uh, and the pillar of fire separated them from Egypt from attacking them. But there's only one spot on this beach where they walk through, and it goes all the way across, the only entrance to come into this beach, okay? That when that fire would come down, it's the only place anywhere in the world that has sand and rock and seashells burnt together like it melted, like it came together. And it's a big line that goes across this one area, this, the mouth of the canyon where, they, where the fire of God was, the pillar of fire that protected them from Egypt. And it's proven. The rocks will cry out. Amen? Well, the pillar of fire. Mount Sinai that's over there still where they worship God is a burnt mountain peak where the, power, the fire of God would come down on that mountain peak. It's the only mountain peak that has a burnt top. And it's not volcanic. Okay? Hallelujah. Are you with me now? Now, the fire led them. The cloud led them. But that was outward leading. That was outward leading. Okay? In the New Testament... The Bible says, John baptized with, Jesus said, John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost and fire. Was well, it John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water, but there's one coming after me. He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. The same fire that was in that pillar of cloud, pillar of fire, pillar of cloud, is the same fire in cloud that's on the inside of you now. Now, they, that's how they knew where they were supposed to go. They would follow that cloud. They'd follow that pillar of fire. They would, it would take them where they, you know, it took them to Mount Sinai, to the foothills of Mount Sinai, right? Are you with me now? And, uh, you know, it wasn't rocket science. It says, you, you just, wherever you see the cloud go, you just follow that cloud. Well, we're not back under the Old Testament anymore. We don't look for some outward thing to lead us and guide us. We now have the fire. We now have the cloud on the inside of us that will show us which direction to go. And we're going to be getting into this in the weeks to come about, you know, how to follow that fire, how to follow that cloud, which is the Holy Spirit, how to be led by the Spirit of God, how to walk, how to cooperate with Him. Are you ready for that? It's so important. The most important subject you could, after being born again, the most important subject, I think, is how to be led by the Holy Ghost. 
How to be led by the Holy Spirit. I think some Christians think they still live under the Old Testament. They're waiting for an outward sign. Lord, if you show me a sign, I'll go here. If you want me to do this, show me something outward. Well, the devil's out there in the natural. He can do stuff. He can manipulate things to make it seem like it's a leading from God. But the fire of God and the, light, the, the cloud is on the inside of us now. New Testament. God took up residence on the inside of you and on, on the inside of me. And so here's our assignment for the week, and I'll close here. Is that if we begin to pray more in the language that God has given to us, the prayer tongue that God has given to you, you will be more conscious and more conscientious of the leadings and the directions of the Spirit of God because you're talking His language. Hallelujah. Now, if I go to China and I talk Chinese, then that's to my advantage. If I go to Japan and I talk, I talk Japanese or Mexico and I talk Spanish, that's to my advantage if I can talk that language. How much more is it to our advantage that we now are able to speak in a heavenly tongue and communicate with God? For with other tongues, he says, for, for with stammering lips and another tongue, God says, I will speak. God wants to speak to us. And I find that that's one of the number one ways that you can receive direction from the Lord and, and with any choice, any decision that you have, you know, when you're praying for someone. Um, and I'll, I'll say this, thank you, Lord. Especially if you're praying for someone that their life needs to be turned around. You're praying for a family member and, man, you've been trying every which way to pray in the natural, you know, praying everything you know to, to, to know how to pray. We've all been there, haven't we? Yes. Pray this scripture, pray that. There's nothing wrong with that. But folks, so, so often we get to the place where you just clueless in the natural what, how to pray. You just, you fall short. The Bible talks about that in Romans chapter 8. When you don't know how to pray as you should, then the Holy Spirit will take up and begin to pray through you the perfect will of God for that person, that man or that woman, that boy, that girl, whoever it is, to pray in other tongues for them. And by doing so, you're allowing the Holy Spirit to pray through you, even though your mind doesn't understand it, your spirit is praying. The Bible says when you pray in tongues, you're not speaking to men, you're speaking to God. He understands the language because He gave it to you in the, in the first place. Amen? Let's just thank the Lord right now. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Okay. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Father. Thank you for the heavenly language, Father, that you've given to us. May we never take it for granted. May we not be so, so accustomed and so used to it, Lord, that we, it becomes commonplace when in reality it's totally supernatural, Father. Keep it fresh in our hearts, Lord. Thank you, Father. We worship you and we thank you right now. Thank you, dear Lord. Thank you, dear Lord. We do bless you, Father. We do praise you, Lord, right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The Lord said, this is the rest. This is the refreshing. And as we yield ourselves, thank you, Holy Spirit. The Lord would say, as you yield yourself to my language that I've given unto you. 
that you will enter into a rest and a refreshing like you've never known before. For I've ordained times of refreshing in my word that come from my presence. And so you have the opportunity and the free will as you speak in the language that I have given unto you to enter into on purpose that refreshing, that rest, yea, supernatural rest that I have for you. Labor not in the flesh, in the natural, to try to change this or try to change that. But enter into the rest that I have. For I said, this is the rest. This is the refreshing. For with stammering lips and another tongue will I speak. And so enter into, on purpose, saith the Lord. Enter into that rest. Enter into that refreshing. And the things that so try to boggle your mind and try to shut you down and try to put fear and chaos in your mind will fall by the side, will fall by the wayside. And you'll allow my language in you to rise up and pray for those things that you don't know how to pray as you ought. For don't you know that I knew this? I knew this long before you were born. And I provided as an act of love I provided a supernatural language that the devil cannot understand. I've given you the supernatural ability to speak in heavenly languages and to pray things out that naturally speaking you wouldn't know how to pray whatsoever. You are at full advantage now and the enemy is at a disadvantage. So utilize the heavenly language that I've given unto you and watch the enemy fall by the wayside. And watch things turn around in your family. And watch situations make a 180 and a turnabout. For you see, I've given you that language as a mighty weapon to pray in the Spirit, to pray in other tongues, and to see the enemy and the adversary run in derision and in confusion. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We receive that, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Now, you remember, uh, thank you, Lord. Remember uh, the Tower of Babel situation? They all had one language. And they were all united to build this tower. But it, was, it wasn't God's plan. And God had to come down and separate their languages and separate them. That's where you get the nationalities and different people, the languages all over the earth. But on the day of Pentecost, God sent a language to unite. Yes. He did. He sent a language, the heavenly language, to unite us. Amen.